0: This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. I don't know if you remember last year, I actually kind of alluded to it a little bit, but last year there was that ballistic missile scare in Hawaii. Remember that? Uh, where I, In fact, there's this text that went out to every, all the residents in Hawaii. This was the text that, that they received. Basically, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were, you know, having a nice leisure day and all of a sudden you get that text on your phone? Well, that's what happened. They received that text and it came in at 8.07 a.m. And for 38 minutes... For 38 minutes, people thought this was the end. For 38 minutes, they were running, scurrying around, trying to find shelter. For 38 minutes, they thought the end of of their world had come. And so what you found often in a lot of the text messaging and a lot of the conversations that were happening during those 38 minutes, that there was a lot of reprioritizing. Things that were once important were no longer important. There was a lot of text messages going on, a lot of phone calls happening, and they were communicating with their loved ones, and a lot of it sounded like the final goodbye. That's what that sounded like. That's what was happening during those 38 minutes. Of course, there was this one guy who, at 8.07, was standing on a green, pulling out a golf club, <laughs> and he saw the text message, and I don't know, maybe, maybe things went through his head. I don't know what went through his head, but he, what he said was, what a way to die, on the greens. And so he just went on and kept playing golf. So it's okay. You must have not had any family at home. I don't know. But for most people, there was this realignment of priorities that was taking place. They were assessing what was important. For most people, they were seeing the end in sight. It was the end of life, the end of days for them. And so last week, we looked at Jesus' words in Matthew 25, and the context of the passage that we looked at is, is the end times, where Jesus is basically talking about judgment day, when we will all face, face our Lord. And so a good question for us to ponder as we think about our resources and God's priorities is this, what do I need to do now, what do I need to do now to be ready then, what do I need to do now to be ready then? Because when the end comes, we don't really think about the end too much. We don't actually ask ourselves that question very much. What do I need to do now to be ready then? Typically, the only time we ever ask that question when we're younger is when we're trying to figure out what's our retirement investment supposed to look like. You know, when we're filling out a form for our for our or whatever, our retirement company, and letting them know what to do with, our, with the money they're taking out of our check. That's about the only time we're thinking about the then, but most of us do not think that way, and yet it's a good question to be asking ourselves, what do I need to do now to be ready then? So we're gonna look at, today, we're going to look at the parable of the talents, a familiar parable to many of you. It's also found in Matthew chapter 25. Now, talent was a measurement of money. And so when you read it, you might, uh, on a surface view, when you read the word talent, you're thinking talents, like gifts, you know, uh, artistic gifts or talents, guitar playing, that kind of stuff. That's not exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about money. It was equal to 20 years of a day laborer's wage. That was a talent. 20 years of a day laborer's wage. And so the NIV translates talent as a bag of gold, basically. That makes sense because In those days, if there was any kind of transaction happening, buying land or whatever, they used bags of gold or silver to to make that purchase. So we're going to read about this master who leaves and basically calls his servants together and he entrusts his servants with his wealth, his money, okay? That's what happens. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. This is again... Again, meaning he's basically just did another parable where he talked about the same thing, but now he's giving another example. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This is not unusual. This happened on a very regular basis. It wasn't unusual for a wealthy landowner to be called out on business and have to go travel some distance. Now, what, was, what the, the servants did not know is that they didn't know when he was gonna come back. Because travel was, you know, unpredictable in those days. Long-distance communication was non-existent. You couldn't call. You couldn't make a, a text message. You couldn't send an email. That didn't exist. And so they were uncertain. They weren't sure when he would come back. They didn't know the time frame that he would return. Kind of this idea that we're talking about, that Jesus is talking about. Are you, what do you need to do now to be ready then, right? So what, we don't know exactly when he's coming back. Then, So he gathers them together, and this is what he does in verse, verse 15. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags of gold. Uh, two, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So he gives out his wealth, right? Now, we said one bag of gold is equal to about 20 years of a laborer's wage. And so we can safely say that a bag of gold was probably about half a million dollars in our currency, all right? So about half a million dollars. And so two bags of gold is about a million dollars, and therefore two and a half bags, of, or two bags, uh, five, five bags of gold is like two and a half million dollars, okay? It's a lot of money, isn't it? Okay, I guess you're, you, you got more money than I do. So it's, it is a lot of money to me, right? Two and a half million dollars is a lot of money, right? And his master is entrusting his servants with, with this while he's gone. Now, now this distribution of this master, we look at it and we're like, it's not very fair. It doesn't seem very equal here. He gives one five bags of gold, another one two, and another one one. I mean, what's, what's he thinking? And that's typically how our Western mindset thinks because we think of equality. We think of fairness. We think that we should all be the same. And this is, this is the mindset here, but what we're going to learn here, what we're going to learn here in this story is it's not really about how much he gave out, it's about what they did with what they received. That's really the point of the parable, and we're going to look at that in a few seconds here. See, we want to put the emphasis on how much, because as a culture, we like to compare ourselves. In fact, I'm going to make a big statement here that it's true of me, and it's true probably most of us here, is that we set our standard of living based on comparison, the way we live today, the way I spend money today, is typically because I compare myself to somebody else. I don't, I don't necessarily do it, you know. Like I don't think about it. It just, it just happens. And so that's how we think. We think it's about how much, but what the story is all about, really, is about what you do with what you have received. Verse nineteen says, "After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them." So, it's, long time has passed. He seems to emphasize the idea of a long time in this passage. As if to say that maybe they were becoming impatient. Maybe they were wondering, is he coming back? Maybe they were thinking, you know, hey, maybe he's not coming back. I mean, he had to travel long distance. Maybe he got, you know, held up. And maybe he, maybe he died on the road. And here's money. It belongs to us now. We can keep it. Maybe that's what they're thinking. You know, they're not sure if he's coming back, but the master does return. And I want you to imagine... A long time has passed. They've gotten fairly comfortable in this fact that he's been gone for a long time. Imagine what they're thinking when the master returns. There's one of two things that's going to happen. They're either going to be excited that he's back, or they're going to be terrified that he's back. And it's based on one thing alone. Were they ready for the master to come back? Were they ready? And that's really our situation. Are we ready? Now, verse 20, he goes on. He says, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. So master returns, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Here's 10 bags. Master replied. This is master's response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So the master's happy. Master's happy that he's done something with his money, all right? He says these words, well done, good and faithful servant. In Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Here's four bags of gold. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness, Here's what I want you to catch from this. The reward, the commendation to those two servants was exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little, you're going to be responsible over much. Come and share in your master's happiness to the one who had ten bags and the one who had four bags. The reward is the same. Why? Because it's not about how much they had. It's about what they did with what they had. That's really the whole point. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. And here's what I'm asking you to do as I'm talking about this. I want you to assess. I want you to think of the things. We're going to talk a little bit more specific about some things here in a second. But I want you to be thinking about what is it that I have? Pondering. What is it that I have? What have, has been entrusted to me by our Heavenly Father? Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, and this is what now his tone is a little bit different. This is what he says Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Do you see what he's doing here? I mean, he doesn't even bring the gold yet. He just, before he even brings the gold to the master, he's already making excuses. He's already blaming but somebody else. In fact, he's blaming the master himself. He's like, if you, you know, if you weren't so unrealistic with your expectations, you gave him five bags, you give me one bag? I mean, I felt devalued from the, from the get-go. That was unfair. He's complaining. As soon as he sees the master, he starts talking about how the master is responsible. I've noticed that when it comes to managing our own resources, we tend to have the same the same uh, response that's our default and we've not been responsible for the things that we've been given in terms of stewardship and so instead of Owning the responsibility, we then say, well, we start blaming others. It's it's somebody else's fault, you know? We feel sorry for ourselves. We complain about our circumstance. We find reasons why this situation is unfair. That's what the servant does, right? He blames the master. He basically says it's because of you. Look what he says in verse 25. Because of you, I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Now, honestly, when I think about this, it's a bag of gold that the master gave him. Years have passed. The master comes back. The servant gives him back the same bag of gold. In my mind, if I think, I think about this, that's, well, it can't be that bad, right? I mean, he didn't spend it. He didn't squander it, right? He gives him back what the master gave him. In my mind, that's not that bad. And yet, listen to the master. He's furious, Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, exclamation point. He's angry. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers. So that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. And then here's the punishment. So to take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more. Whoever's been responsible with a little bit will be given even much more. And they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That weeping and gnashing of teeth is a biblical imagery that you find throughout the Bible that basically represents deep regret. Deep regret. That this servant now is living with this deep regret about what he did not do. Often, that's how we see it. An opportunity comes our way. And it's only after the fact that we look back and we say, wow, why didn't I make that investment? Why didn't I say what I should have said back then? Why didn't I do what I should have done back then? Because if I had, my life would be completely different. There's this weeping, weeping and gnashing of teeth idea. Here's a couple of things I want you to take away from this passage. First of all, God has generously entrusted you with his resources. So be grateful. Be grateful. In verse 14, it, it speaks of it as his wealth. His wealth. Last week, we talked a little bit about this, right? That it's his wealth. It's this question of ownership. So everything starts with whose is it? Like in that video, whose is it? Who does it belong to, Right? And so we talked about that last week, how important it is for, for us to have that mindset that if we understand who it belongs to, that it's his, that we're simply stewards of his money, of his stuff, it actually makes things a whole lot clearer for us, biblically speaking. And Some of you understand that here. In fact, after service last week, you know, to be honest with you, when I start talking about money, I, like I said, uh, one of my three points was, the third point was, uh, you know, a sign that, that you know that maybe money is winning the battle over your, for your heart, is that you think this sermon is stupid, <laughs> right? And, and, and so you probably, if you're here and you think what I'm talking about is stupid, that's probably a sign of that. But, I, but when I do that, when I come in and I start talking about money, I be honest with you, I have a, there's a little bit of angst inside of me because, I, because I, I, I'm here. I, there's only one face looking at you. There's, you know, hundreds of faces looking at me. And I see your faces. And some people, I'm like, they're like, like, yeah, tell, convince me, Rich. Convince me, you know. <laughs> so it could be a little bit nerve-wracking for me. The truth is, though, <clears throat> there's a lot of you that, that understand this. Because after service last week, maybe you came up to me and say, shook my hand and said, hey, thanks for preaching that. Because you've begun to organize your life around the teachings of Christ. You, are, you see yourself as a steward and not an owner, necessarily. And because you live that way, You want this. You want to hear this stuff because you know it's life-giving. You know it changes your life. But but if your your perspective is, it's mine, like in that video, then you probably don't like me very much, right? Listen, when we get the biblical concept of ownership, when we understand that, we become very grateful. Our response is gratitude. Gratitude. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he's talking to the Corinthians because the Corinthians, there's this famine going on in Jerusalem, and the Corinthians, you know, basically sent a big offering to the, to the church in Jerusalem, he's tr- they're trying to bless them. And Paul, thanking the Corinthians, he says, out of your abundant joy, in other words, they have this joy, and he talks about earlier in in, in Corinthians, that this joy comes from this gratitude that they have of salvation, because God has set them free. Because of this abundant joy, it has overflowed, this is what Paul says, overflowed in rich generosity. If you want to know if somebody's grateful, the question is, are they generous? Are they generous? If someone's entitled or greedy, they're generally not very generous. So, the test of gratitude is generosity. I like how Richard Foster in his book Spiritual Disciplines puts it. He says, God's ownership of everything changes the kind of question we ask in giving. God's ownership of everything changes the kind of question we ask in giving. Rather than how much of my money should I give to God, which is really the dominant question that most of us ask. I'm included in that. We learn, and and we learn it because it's not natural. We learn to ask, how much of God's money should I keep for myself? It's a completely different perspective. And in my experience, those who have learned to ask that question, how much of God's money should I keep for myself, live fuller, richer, more happier lives. They do. Another thought from this passage is God will hold us accountable for his resources, so we need to be intentional. The master's talking to the one who has one bag of gold, and he says, I don't know if you caught it, he calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy servant. Now, typically, those two words don't, like, go together. I mean, you don't typically, like... You're lazy, therefore you're wicked, or you're wicked, therefore you're lazy. I mean, we don't put those two words typically. We don't parallel those words often. And so Jesus, as he's telling this parable, it seems a little bit of a stretch to say he's lazy, and therefore he's wicked, or he's wicked, therefore he's lazy. It's just hard to understand. I mean, I get lazy. Like, I might, on a Sunday afternoon, sit in my lazy boy stretched out, you know. It's lazy boy after all. And, and I'm watching something on TV, and I don't really want to watch that. But the remote control's on the other side of the room right? And I don't want to get out of the lazy board to go get the remote control. And I would ask my wife, but she would say, you lazy, wicked servant. And that's what she would tell me. That's all she would say. <laughs> Maybe she, would, she, didn't, she wouldn't say it. She'd just think it. Um, but no, so, so, I, so instead of going and grabbing the remote, I just decided I'm going to watch what's on TV, even though I really want to watch it. That's lazy, but it's not wicked, is it? So it just, it's just like, in fact, when we look at this, it's almost like we want this lazy servant, that whatever they did, to be a lot more egregious than what, they actually, than what actually happened. Like they, the master came back and he took the bag of gold and he embezzled the money. Or he took the bag of gold and he spent it on loose living. And, and then we could say, yes, it makes sense to call him a wicked and lazy servant. But he didn't do that. What this servant did is that he did nothing. Do you hear me? He's called a wicked and lazy servant because he did nothing. It's not how much you have, it's what you do with what you have. And he didn't do anything. It just kind of gives us an idea of the accountability that we're being held to. It's not enough to say, hey, I wasn't bad, I wasn't evil. You know, I didn't I didn't do terrible things. I just didn't do anything. We've been entrusted with God's resources. We've been entrusted with God's resources. He doesn't want us to bury it. He doesn't want us to sit back and do nothing. He wants us to leverage his resources, the resources we've been given, he wants us to leverage that for his purposes and for his kingdom. And when we do that, we find true life and we find the response that the Lord gives to them. We're gonna to have to give account, basically. Now, to be honest with you, as a pastor, as a pastor of this church here, that kind of scares me. I mean, life church has we've we've experienced success, we've grown. There's an amazing amount of resources that have been given to life church, and I just to be honest with you, I'm that scares me. From the standpoint that God looks at me. It's kind of what keeps me up at night is that I'm a steward of this. It's a resource that has been, that has been given and it sh- I shouldn't bury it. So that's the natural response. We've got this resource. Let's, let's bury it. Let's, let's sit on it. Let's play it safe. This is why we do some of the things around here that we do. Like I'm convinced, I'm personally convinced that debt is a weight that just destroys marriages, it destroys lives, it destroys everything you can imagine. It's a weight that just can be so overwhelming. I'm convinced personally on that. And I can talk about it, and I can sympathize with the dilemma, but if that's all I do, then I'm not doing anything, and that's why we do financial peace around here. Because we know, you teach financial peace, don't you? Right. We know, we know what it does. We know what it does to people. And so as stewards of what God has given us, we're going to make sure that you, are, you have an opportunity to take Financial Peace University so that you can get out of debt, so you can live a life of freedom. So you can learn to leverage the resources that God has given you for his purposes and for his priorities and for his kingdom. That's why we're doing a campus in Cedar Rapids. The reason we're doing a campus in Cedar Rapids is not because we just want to make it more convenient for the people who are traveling from Cedar Rapids to to Coralville to go to church. I mean, that's a side benefit. But the primary reason is because we have been given a treasure. This church, all churches, we have been given a treasure. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't bury it. We can't keep it to ourselves. This week I've been, I have my moments. A very influential figure in my life was a guy named, by the name of Keith Green. No relation. I wish, but there's no relation. Uh, Keith Green was a, a, an incredible musician. Died in a plane crash back in the early 80s. But Keith Green used to sing these songs that were just passion. Songs about going all out for Christ. No compromise and all that kind of stuff. And really influenced my life deeply and you'll find that, you'll ask my wife every once in a while, I'll, I drift off into my Keith Green zone because I just, I don't know, I just, this happens to me, you know, and before long I'm crying and I'm watching missions videos and I'm pondering, should I go back to the mission field, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. One of the things, one of the things that Keith Green talked about once was, he says, a soldier knows, a, like a military soldier knows that the, the the command that they have to follow is the last one that was given. Until they receive a new command, they follow this command. However crazy it might sound, they follow this order because it was the last, last one that was given. And he says the last order, the last command that you and I were given was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have no choice, we have no options. That's what we have to do if we are the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why, as a steward of resources that he's given us, we have to go. That's why we're going into Cedar Rapids. There are 300,000 people in this area that have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That don't go to church on Sunday mornings. That right now, while you and I are sitting here in church, they're getting over a hangover. They're, they're trying to figure out how to, how to sign divorce papers. You and I are called to, to do that. And we're not going to sit back. We're not going to wait and hope that somebody else will do it. We're not going to bury the treasure. This is sacred to me. This is sacred to me. I want each, I want to. Because one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to hear. This is what I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I want each and every one of you to hear the same thing. So start leveraging the resources you've been given with, for God's priorities, for God's kingdom. Now listen, if I was where you are, if I was sitting in the seats where you are looking at me and uh, hearing what I'm saying, I'd be like you probably. I'd probably feel the same way. I'd be like, yes, Rich, I, I hear what you're saying. I catch the passion by, by how you're talking about all that. I, I understand that. You might be even sitting there saying, yeah, I need to make some changes in my life. I need to be more faithful in certain areas. I need to grow spiritually. I need to, you know, you might feel a little convicted. I know I've been many times sitting in a chair looking at a sermon or hearing a sermon and feeling convicted. But what happens to me too often is I feel convicted. I sit in the service and I hear the Holy Spirit, not the preacher, but the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. I hear it. And then I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, yes. And I walk out the doors, and it's out of sight, out of mind, and I do nothing. It's a little phrase that that Jesus uses to the guy who give, he gives the five bags of gold. He says this when he gave the five bags of gold to us. He he went at once. He went at once and put his money to work. He didn't waste any time. He didn't sit back. He didn't look at the five bags of gold and say, "Wow, I'm sitting on two and a half million dollars. This is pretty amazing. I'm, look how great I am." He didn't do that. It says he went at once and put it to work. It talks about action. It talks about responding to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to. It talks about getting busy. For some of you, that means maybe obedience in the tithe. You've tried to explain it five five different ways, why, and excuse yourself five different ways and why, or justify it, why it doesn't work for you. But Maybe you're just simply, the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you, it's time time to step up. It's time to move at once. For some of you, it's not really about money because you don't have a problem giving. Maybe your resources are such, or maybe you're just accustomed to it, but but man, time, you don't want to give of your time. Time is precious to you, right? But time is a resource as well that God has entrusted us with. And maybe the Lord is saying, hey, I want some of your time. Not all of it, just some of it. I want some of your time for my kingdom. So let me ask you again the question it's really a, a call to action. What do you need to do now to be ready then? What do you need to do now to be ready then? And my hopes is, I want you to be moved spiritually, yes. But my hopes is that your brain is spinning right now and you're operating in this place and the Holy Spirit is informing your brain and telling you, listen, you need to start doing this, you need to start doing this, you need to start doing this. You need These five things start right now. That's what I'm hoping the response is, and I can't speak for it, every single one of you, but I know that God speaks to us that way. What do we need to do now to be ready? Then, because the Master is coming, the Master is coming, and I want for me as I want for every single one of you. Is all of us here, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Salus. Father, we, uh, we read this parable of the talents, the three servants who were entrusted. We don't want to miss the fact that, that really it's a word for every single one of us in this room. Every single one of us in this room are a servant who has been entrusted with much some level or another, all of us have been entrusted with something according to our abilities. Father, we don't want to be servant number three. We want to be servant number one or servant number two who gets busy and does what they're supposed to do, who prepares now for the future. So Father, will you help us to make righteous choices right now? Will you help us to make a decision right this minute of what you have, what you would have us to do. Of releasing funds, of change of perspective, that it's not ours, it's yours, God. And that we'll start asking the right question, not so much how, do I, how much money do I give to God or how much of my time do I give to God or how much of my energy do I give to God, but rather we ask the other question, how much of my, of my energy do I keep for myself? How much of my time do I keep for myself? How much of God's time do I, do I uh, keep for myself? Help us, Father. Give us a right perspective. Right now, Lord, we just simply surrender our hearts to you completely. We acknowledge it's not ours, it's yours, Father. Help us to write righteous choices in Jesus' name. Amen.